So you started off, and 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 one of the things I appreciate about you and 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 the book is, um, uh, I don't know if blunt is the right word, but you know, you, you, a, a you're describing the um, what everyone else calls white whiskey as moonshine, and you you described yourself as a bootlegger. Uh-huh. Uh Well, I cer- certainly, you know, I mean, different people. I yeah, it's a, people have different attitudes about what can qualify as moonshine i mean obviously yeah. there are purists who say that if it's made legally it, you can't call it moonshine um i was not really i don't know i didn't belong to that camp so um and i sort of do view that really there's no other i think the phrase white whiskey is a little yeah pretentious so <laughs> when in fact you know historically that's what it is it's moonshine i mean yeah. moonshine and white whiskey uh, to me, are synonyms, and I think to a lot of other people out there. Um, but you know, because of the history of the business, uh, I got started in my apartment making moonshine, and that is really what led to even starting a business in the first place. So, um, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of the backstory of the business in a sense because uh, it's how I got interested, not just in whiskey broadly, but really what separates good whiskey from bad whiskey and how I got interested in, uh, you know, resolving that question for myself. Yeah. Uh, which I think is intrinsic to the, the way that we make whiskey and how we differentiate ourselves. Yeah. I mean, there, I, I guess there tends to be this notion, you know, when, when people think about the word bootlegger specifically, people don't tend to think of necessarily good alcohol. Right. But, uh, well, <laughs> Maybe, maybe not. I mean, I, I think... I'm thinking bathtub gin, you know, like, right. really. Well, it depends on whether you're talking about Prohibition-era moonshine yeah. or post-Prohibition moonshine. I mean, moonshine has a history that goes back to 1862, and uh, for a while, there was no distinction between legally made alcohol and illegally made alcohol. It was just, at a certain point, all the distilleries either got a license or they operated illegally. Um then during Prohibition, of course, everything everybody was scrambling to find whatever they could, and, yeah. and as a result, a lot of the because there was such incredible demand and so little supply, uh, there there was you know sketchy things that made their way into the into the run. I mean, these days uh, there's very few people I think in Appalachia that are legitimately making moonshine for profit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that is very squarely dying out, which is not to say that it doesn't exist and there aren't people who are doing it, but I think now sort of people are doing it sort of self-consciously and there's not quite that same thing. Although I would say it did exist up until kind of when I was coming of age growing yeah. up, um, there were still bootleggers. Now, if I go back home uh, in Harlan County, I don't think there are any sort of bootleggers in the same sense that there were when I was growing up and in, in, in high school. And in no case are there people... Um, you know, with us still up in the woods trying to, that are making a living from that. There's definitely people who are making it in their apartment as a, or their, you know, in their backyard yeah. as an homage to sort of their grandfather or whatever. I mean, there's, but uh, in my experience, I haven't found a whole lot of, of moonshining that goes on right now. So, so where, where, where do you fall on that? When, you know, when you decided to, to get a still? Well then, so yeah, I would yeah. say the, 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 all, the flip side of that is there are a lot of people who are outside of Appalachia who are um, n- not interested in making moonshine for profit, but they're just doing it out of curiosity or, mm-hmm. um, you know, kind of for the reasons that I did, which was to, to learn about whiskey and, and to actually, you know, have a, a relationship to where this product comes from. I think 
um, more than any other food or beverage, um, you know, whiskey is shrouded in mythology and people really don't have much of a a handle on how it's made or, or what differentiates good from bad and et cetera, et cetera. So you start to see a lot of chefs or, or, um, you know, just people who are sort of foodies or, or, or home brewers or, um, you know, just people who are curious who are starting to pick it up. And those are people who are often in cities and, and may or may not have a connection to Appalachia. Yeah. Uh, and this is one of the things I had said to you in our now lost conversation, but, um, you know, I got right. I, I got the, the book for, uh, for the, for the holiday and, you know, and, 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 really loved all the historical stuff at the beginning but was really excited to learn about the um you know the the bootlegging stuff at the end i thought you know i've got i've got all these friends who do homebrew beer Mm -hmm. wouldn't it be Mm -hmm. cool to make my own whiskey but there's i the the book kind of was the beginning and the end of that fantasy (laughs) right right well i mean uh yeah i mean it it definitely takes a fair amount of commitment not that i think anybody would really risk getting in trouble. I mean, I've never heard of a hobby moonshiner being prosecuted. Mm. Um, I mean, it really is only people that are making it at such a scale that uh, they really are, to some extent, depriving the government of income. If, if, <laughs> which I, I mentioned in the book, there's there's really not the, the scale of income that the government is losing to for-profit moonshiners is you know next to nil. So, yeah. uh, but that's not to say that it doesn't happen. I mean, you do still read. Uh, in in the papers in in sort of the region that there there are still busts that happen so it's not without some risk but uh, uh, but the other thing is that there's a financial commitment you have to buy still you have to um, uh, so uh, you know you're sort of in for at least a, a few hundred bucks which uh, for most people that's yeah <laughs> that's, that's a commitment there's a there's a there's a potential danger element to it as well right there's a potential Nah, I'm not really. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm the sort of, like I I I check my um my range like four or five times before I leave the the apartment. So right, I don't right. know if like <laughs> yeah. simmering, you know, w- distilling whiskey on my right. <laughs> if if you have a gas stove and you're and that's how you're or propane and that's how you're heating your still, you you definitely open yourself up to a lot more risk than if you're using electrical elements. But most of the stills that you can buy online are designed to work with electrical. Mm. either hot plates or electrical elements. So, um, and that's much, much safer. It's not without risk anytime you have a flammable liquid. But also making whiskey is safer than making vodka or, um, hmm. you know, other types of spirits be just because of the proof that it comes out of the still is inevitably lower and sort of the period at which it's flammable is a is a shorter period of time uh, when you're making whiskey than making sort of other things. Um, so I think, uh, you know, it's, it's something that it has some risks, but they're grossly overstated, uh, when it comes to, uh, when people, you know, when, whenever there's a discussion that erupts online about home distillation, most people say, oh, this is, you know, the reason the government forbids it is for the danger aspect. You're saying that people online are blowing things out of proportion. (laughs) Indeed. Well, yeah. (laughs) Uh, well, it's just remarkable when, yeah, to me, how how wrong the the crowd mentality can be. So, so w- basically, what you're saying is the government is not protecting ourselves from ourselves. No, <laughs> no, not it. They have no interest in that. And and you know, obviously, the government doesn't prohibit you from. <laughs> I don't know. But I mean, anything I, else that's flammable. I, you know, I, I guess there, is yeah. there is there any chance that I'm gonna you know make myself go blind? <laughs> 
Uh, no, not really. Yeah. I mean, that that is a much closer to pure myth than even the other stuff that we've been discussing. I mm. mean, really, home distilled spirits tend to be uh, lower in methanol content mm. than commercial distilled spirits, and uh, that's just a result of of you know you can be overly cautious. Uh, and the, it's not really it's not something that's regulated by the government in commercial whiskey. So um, in this country, you can hmm. have as much methanol as you want in your whiskey, uh, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> it's not um, not that I mean, you know, in the in the case of Jim Beam, you would have to drink somewhere around thirty gallons of it <laughs> before you'd have enough methanol to hurt yourself. Yeah. So uh, you know, the, the amount of methanol that's in whiskey, both American whiskey, Scotch whiskey, homemade whiskey is usually very, very low. Um, but when we have our whiskey tested for methanol, it tends to, to have substantially less than, than even Jim Beamer Blanton's. So, uh, and that, I think, is true across the board when you talk to, to other home distillers. I'm, I'm sure that would be the case. And you can taste it. I mean, you can taste volatility, harshness, mm. astringent, those, those types of chemicals. The, the, the more intense the chemical profile of the whiskey obviously the, the harsher the whiskey is going to be and you can taste that so that, that's just a taste thing for you then when uh, the, the reason why the proof is so low uh the reason why the 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 methanol and the yeah. the acetaldehyde and things like that all those congeners yeah i it, we yeah i mean that's how i learned how to distill was to try and avoid those things because yeah. they tasted bad and as a result you know the whiskey tastes better and and is in a in a sense cleaner um, but that's uh, really the source of that myth about methanol really goes back to prohibition mm. when the government needed ethanol uh, for fuel purposes. And it's still, you know, ethanol is what we put into our cars and it's the same thing that we drink. So uh, that, you know, the fact that it's useful for both purposes yeah. has always frustrated the government. And so during prohibition, <laughs> they would denature ethanol with methanol. To prevent people from dis, uh, from drinking it, and of course, people would try and separate it crudely by distilling it, um, which there's no real way to do. And so they would get uh, they would drink methanol and, and blind themselves. I suppose the other thing that I've heard of people doing is they fill bottles sequentially out of the still, so that once the still starts dripping, once they fill the first bottle, then they sell that and and sell the next one in, instead of homogenizing everything. Yeah. So obviously, those first bottles would have a much higher methanol content. Yeah. Uh, than later ones. So, I, I, you know, I don't really know if that's true, but that's also a, another possible source of that myth. Hey, everybody. Just wanted to take a moment to let you know that this episode of RIYL is brought to you by Hover, the best way to buy and manage domain names. Uh, they got a good one. It's Hover.com. You go over there. Uh, you, yeah, there's a little search bar in the middle. You enter your keyword, what you're looking for, um, and then you can get your like your .com, your .net, all sorts of different uh, country codes. Pretty much every any any top level domain you could ever possibly want. They're going to get you in and out in five minutes. It's a uh, it's a rare thing. It's a, a a domain registration service actually built around making things as, as easy as possible. And if you've still got any questions on top of that, super easy customer service, uh, no wait customer service. You get your your website under five minutes, and then it'll work with your Google Apps, so your Gmails, your Google calendars, your, your drives, your Google Docs, all of that stuff. Uh, so that's hover.com. You go over there. Uh, actually, our, our promo code for the week is Charlie Brown. It's all, all one word. Enter that and, you know, they'll, uh, they'll, get you, they'll get you a deal over there. 
good for me, good for you. You get it. You get your website uh, with, with with as little pain as possible. Everybody's happy. Hover.com. So describe for me a little bit how how this turns from you know you, you go online, you buy the still to four years later, right? We're here in a pretty big building with a bunch of <laughs> really right. large stills. Well, I mean, initially it was just people were curious about it, and um, uh, you know, I would I'd make about twelve of these little bottles that mm-hmm. we have today. I'd do about that in a given run, and then just share them with people, either giving them away, and eventually. <laughs> so, so these flasks are the, and that's the way it's been. Yeah, that's yeah. the way it's sort of been since the beginning. I mean, there were mason jars at the very beginning, and then um, just at, to to not seems quite so trite. Yeah, <laughs> started using these flask bottles, which are really convenient. And then, um, uh, really, it was just a question of uh, getting sort of paranoid after a certain point. I was people would find me that I didn't really know, and would be curious about it. And that's when I started to realize that, you know, if if random strangers can find me, and then really the FBI could too. And yeah, and I'm I'm not totally comfortable with that. You you cross that line from hobbyist to somebody who's actually making a fair amount of the stuff well yeah not a fair amount but like let's say 12 bottles a month which mm. uh was enough that you know in a way i wanted to make enough to sort of pay for the habit and so there was that sort of impetus to to kind of sell the bottles uh but uh you know ultimately <laughs> yeah i got very worried about that yeah so uh that's and and david had always been in a way sort of involved in the business because he we we had sort of schemed the the sort of concept of a, a moonshine thing i mean it didn't really wasn't necessarily a distillery i mean i don't even think we were thinking about it in those terms huh. but i was i had always been interested in moonshine uh even before i you know I, you know obviously i got the still i was still interested in in, in moonshine as an idea and that's uh kind of came up with uh the name for the business and then got the still started fooling around with it and then um, it was really around Christmas time in 2008 that we were kind of sitting around doing a blind test with other commercial white whiskeys that were available. I mean, at that time, I didn't really have a lot of aged whiskey. I had some sort of wood chip infused whiskey, but I didn't yeah. have any aged whiskey. So um, how long how long are you aging now? Well, now it's about 18 months for each of the barrels. Okay. Um, so this is literally just ahead of that time period. Like you just you hadn't had enough time to actually age any of the, the whiskey. Well, I mean, it was aged for like four or five months on yeah. oak chips, but that's sort of a different thing than aging versus barrel. sticking it in a barrel. Yeah, yeah. So, but the white whiskey, we would go. We went to uh, I think Fetisau, which uh, had at that time you could get a flight of of white whiskeys, and they were all. <laughs> it was I remember exactly what it was? I think it was Hudson had a corn whiskey yeah. that was called Old Grist Mill. Uh, Virginia Lightning, which uh, is very interesting corn whiskey that's that's out there, uh, and I think uh, Georgia Moon, which mm. uh, which is know, in a mason uh, jar, sort of yeah, sort of novelty <laughs> yeah. corn whiskey. We were like, well, this we're, we're way better than any of these. Yeah. So the fact that people are selling these bottles and we think you know that the the whiskey that we have is better than this is an opportunity, and that then led to finding a lawyer and filing for the the DSP and the and the state license. Uh, and then ran for the first couple of years out of Meadow Street, raised you know a tiny fraction of money to be able to get basically the same equipment that I was using, but but multiplying that by five, uh, and that's what we ran for the first two years, which was really you know an, an extended hobbyist setup, 
And then now when we moved into this building, we're using slightly bigger stills, but still stills that qualify more as hobby stills than professional stills. The, those guys right there? No, the, the, the five okay. hillbilly stills over there, yeah. which is which is what we've been running for. I mean, have in the in the intervening four years have attitudes changed as far as as moonshine because again you know like you said i i mean you know there's like mason jar novelty stuff that you can buy right well i mean there's still people who come and they're like oh i've never had moonshine yeah you know and uh it's like i don't know whether they mean they've never had white whiskey or they've never had moonshine and so i guess in that sense there's still some uh confusion and and um but i i think it's uh, now we're sort of evolving. I mean, people are sort of recognizing that white yeah. whiskey is a category of spirit, whatever you want to call it, doesn't make that much difference. But it is a it is a real thing. And um, now Jim Beam and Jack Daniels both have their own versions mm. of of white whiskey and and uh, and selling it. In the case of Jack Daniels, at a very expensive bottle. I mean, it's way more expensive than regular Jack Daniels. So, so the uh, stuff that's literally right out of the still, they're yeah, yeah, charging yeah. more for. Yeah, which. To me, it makes sense. I mean, if it prob- I don't know in what way it's differentiated from you know their regular white dog. Um, I have a suspicion that it is just because uh, you know most of the white dog that comes off the commercial stills uh, that I've had, like the Buffalo Trace Mash Bill, you know, Mash Number One White Dog, and and Maker's Mark has a white dog that they sell out of the distillery. N- none of it's very good, and and I actually think the Jack Daniels is is a little better than than that would suggest. So, uh, so maybe it's it's worth forty six dollars for seven fifty. I don't know, uh, but it's also I, I don't know. They say it's a limited release, so maybe yeah. that's that's part of it too. Um, but I think people are you know there's and and I also believe that there's no reason that people shouldn't be drinking white whiskey because they drink white tequila and they drink white rum and they drink white uh, you know brandy in the case of grappa or or some eau de vie and yeah. Um, so the idea of of white spirits is not foreign. So I don't know why white whiskey would be any more despicable than, That's than it, white it, tequila. Is know? there is, is 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 it has it just been a matter of of marketing over the years? Is that oh why? yeah, it's just it's just you know the the narrative has been controlled by Kentucky and Kentucky has. Uh, invested in out aging one another. I mean, that's that's kind of where whiskey hmm. is right now. If you bought a bottle of bourbon in the seventies, it was uh, yeah. you know a four year old bourbon. That was it. Nobody was really interested in longer age bourbons. It just wasn't wasn't how people valued whiskey. Now we're in sort of a moment where people are um, buying into this this narrative that happy, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Um, yeah. Which you know has some. It's not out of the blue and, and isn't wrong. I mean, the, certainly all spirits benefit from aging. Hmm. Um, but whether or not, you know, a six year whiskey from one distillery is intrinsically better than a four year whiskey from another distillery, you know, definitely is not, is not the case, but that even though that's probably public perception, I wonder how much of that goes down, It goes back to, you know, the fact that, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, prohibition wasn't really that long ago, so maybe it's still a relative novelty to have aged whiskey in the in the states. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I mean, a lot of it probably goes back before prohibition to this uh, the Pure Food and Drug Act, uh, and really the late 1800s when there were a lot of people making what was called imitation whiskey. They would mm. buy uh, neutral grain spirit or what was basically what was called alcohol. Uh, and they would then add wood chips, and they would add glycerin, and they would add uh, caramel coloring to basically simulate aged whiskey. Uh, and the people in Kentucky, really, uh, who had been making it 
sort of the traditional way for a long time, started charging a premium for that product. Mm. Uh, and people began to recognize, you know, bourbon whiskey, uh, Kentucky bourbon whiskey, as being distinctive from, uh, you know, where a lot of the alcohol was coming from, which was more Indiana, Illinois, mm. uh, kind of big commercial grain yeah. producing states had their own distilleries. Um, so then when Prohibition happened, um, there were distilleries in, in Kentucky and Pennsylvania that were allowed to stay open. Um, interestingly, Tennessee passed a statewide prohibition. Uh, I don't, I don't know exactly when, but, but kind of made it harder for those distilleries. I mean, Jack Daniels tried to move to Missouri for a while and, and, ultimately sort of gave up on the project was it wasn't jack daniels a senator isn't that wasn't that kind of a workaround <laughs> i don't know i've never heard that that was my that was my impression that he had some sort of pull yeah N- well n- no because he he really did uh basically go out of business and then lem motlow who was his mm. nephew or cousin or something like that ended up really restarting the business and that and and turning it into what it is today i mean jack daniels really was wasn't a whole lot different than a lot of other distillers that were in tennessee in the 1800s but uh it was really people after him that that made that brand what it is um uh but in any case as to whether or not uh, you know i think the the character of the bourbon industry really has has you know it, it mirrors other large businesses in the united states agri agribusiness and um just sort of the the fewer and fewer providers of services and and products uh gradually these larger and larger corporations uh, buying up all the small time producers and eventually got to a point where in the case of bourbon there's only eight or nine hmm. companies yeah uh most of them global companies that uh that own and and are involved with the manufacture of spirits so uh once that happens then you have no particular drive for creativity or, or, or differentiation. Everybody's just sort of falling into a, a sort of lockstep. This episode of RIYL is also brought to you by Audible. You know Audible. They're the audiobook people. They've got more than 150,000 different titles to choose from in fiction, nonfiction, uh, periodicals. They've got apps for all the major platforms, uh, iOS, Android, Windows Phone. Um, that means you can listen on your, your, your iPhone, your iPod, your iPad, your uh, Samsung Galaxy Notes, Samsung Galaxy S4, uh, maybe there'll be a Samsung Galaxy S5 soon that you can listen to it on uh, your Kindle Fire. They've got a new feature for Kindle Fire right now called Immersion Reading, so you read the book, the book reads to you. It's, it's nice. It's like a it's like a bedtime story. And right now, uh, they are offering listeners of this very podcast a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. All you have to do is go to audiblepodcast.com slash R-I-Y-L, which is the name of the podcast that you're listening to if you haven't been paying attention thus far and uh, you can choose from uh, over 150,000 different titles um, and if you don't like what you're listening to refund, get a refund, no questions asked uh, I I am reading Doris Kearns Goodwin right now I'm on my like third Doris Kearns Goodwin book of uh, in, in three weeks um, recommend that you, uh, you check her out if you've got really any interest in any any Roosevelt at all, that's that's the, that's the that's the person to read. Um, so you go to you go to audiblepodcast.com slash R-O-L. You can download the bully pulpit. It's great. Listen to it. You can you can drive. Like you can't. I live in New York. I don't drive a lot. But you can drive and 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 have a book at the same time. It's what we call multitasking in, in my business. Probably your business too. That's a pretty common word. 
um, audiblepodcast.com slash R-I-Y-L. I mean, I was sh- I was shocked. That was I think one of the things you've sort of proudly point out in the in the book, and you've got a poster upstairs yeah, demonstrating yeah. that fact. But um, you know, looking at this looking at this this tree that you've created of all of these um, large distilleries and all uh, you know, everything that comes out of them. I mean, there's a lot of stuff in there that I enjoy. I mean, they are making some interesting. Well, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm not. It's not a it's not a criticism of of Kentucky whiskey per se. It's just saying uh, that. In a way, Kentucky whiskey's very um, doesn't really show the the full range of what whiskey can be, just because, mm. in a sense, they're all sort of pursuing the same mash bills, the same aging techniques. Yeah. Um, certainly, you can find great bottles of whiskey that and and for much better cost than you'll ever get from a craft distillery. Um, but whether or not those whiskeys show the sort of variety that whiskey can be. Mm. And especially when it comes down to sort of the distillation practices and ingredients, uh, in the case of Kentucky distilleries, they're often using, you know, commodity ingredients and, and huge column stills that really don't make, um, the, the sort of raw white whiskey. That's, I mean, that, that whiskey tends to be very uninteresting. It's like McDonald's whiskey. Well, no, I don't even <laughs> want to say that. It's just, it's, uh, it's whiskey that's designed to be aged in the manner in which yeah. it's aged in Kentucky. Um, whereas, uh, so you know, they sort of realize the longer we age it, the more we can get away with cutting corners on the front end. And it's not even cutting corners per se, but it's just um, because there was no interest in in talking about the the base spirit. Mm-hmm. People got way more interested in single barrel and and aged in this part of the warehouse and aged for this period of time and in this type of barrel, et cetera, et cetera. So uh, there was much more emphasis in Kentucky on the on the way the whiskey's barrel aged and and how that aging process differentiates among the whiskeys because at the, at the at its core all the the white spirit uh that's being produced by these distilleries is basically indistinguishable one distillery to another uh and that's uh you know i mean that that leads to a lot of homogenous whiskey well you in the in in the past i guess month or so have, have introduced the, the the chocolate whiskey is that is that your way of showing people what what can be done? <laughs> well, no. no <laughs> I mean, we have a lot of uh, uh, interesting barrels that are coming down the pipe eventually. Yeah, uh, a lot of what we're playing with is is stuff that won't really be seen for a year or more. Hmm. Um, but I think uh, playing with different styles of whiskey is part of it in a way. I mean, it's the opportunity of a craft distiller is to to be creative and to take advantage of of that opportunity to be different. I mean. There's some craft distillers who won't even make bourbon because they feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I don't want to, I, I don't even want to compete with yeah. what they're doing. That I'm not quite sure I agree with because I do think, uh, you know, our our bourbon is very different from, say, Hudson Upstate. Their bourbon is, is and then their bourbon is in, in turn very different from what's being produced in Kentucky or by other craft distillers in Texas and Colorado that are making bourbon. So I think there's room within the category of bourbon for the variation that exists uh, or, you know, that the craft distillers are bringing to the table. I mean, one thing that I always always say is I can't always tell um, uh, one product from another product if I'm tasting it blind, but I can usually tell one distillery from another distillery, mm-hmm. uh, especially when it comes to a craft level, because I, I think the, the stills and the, the type of yeast and and kind of the way that you distill actually has a lot more impact on the flavor than the ingredients that you're distilling mm. with. Um, 
And so uh, I think that individual character of each distillery um, is is very interesting and is a lot like what happens in Scotland. I mean, when, when single malt scotches uh, have risen to prominence, it's because there actually is... Uh, you know, a lot of differentiation, distillery to distillery. Each one has its own kind of character, and 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 that is of great value to the Scotch industry. Uh, and maybe what you'll see with the emergence of craft distilleries is starting to be a little bit more of a landscape uh, that looks more like Scotland and less like mm. uh, what we have now. Yeah. Um, the, the chocolate's been polarizing so far. It sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, for us, it's a way to 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 have a product that's not aged. Uh, that that oh. we can sell, so um, with the brownish color. That's <laughs> well, and it's uh, yeah. I mean, I also think if the, if flavored whiskey is going to be a category, why not do something that's actually not sort of aiming for the lowest common denominator and actually doing something that's that's relatively nice. Well, that, I mean, that's interesting. Like how 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 on a really kind of you know top level, how would you differentiate it from like you know the honey? stuff that, <laughs> well, that jack daniels has. i mean just drink it <laughs> no, yeah yeah, yeah no, I, I mean that's what i would just yeah you know i it's or like not really my like cinnamon right out there or maple out there now. right i mean it's not really my place to say it but yeah. I, I would encourage people to to try it I mean, is, uh, is the process know. different or is it just uh, well yeah i mean i think all of those products have uh you know artificial flavors and and, mm. and ingredients that aren't in our case we just add chocolate husks i mean that's the yeah. only other ingredient that we add beyond the whiskey and it's uh, it's from a very good chocolate factory, and and it's uh, it's bitter. It's not like a liqueur. People sort of expect chocolate whiskey to be sweet, yeah. and a lot of these flavored spirits are very very sweet. I think um, you know making something that's that's sort of bitter and and maybe lends itself to uh, the the creativity of a cocktail is actually in the spirits' mm. advantage, as opposed to something that people are gonna. I don't know. I mean, I guess we could go for sort of like shot whiskey yeah <laughs> where people line it up and well i mean lemon drop kind of at the price that you guys yeah. are charging <laughs> yeah. i don't think anyone's taking shots of this no so uh, but you know that that i think is uh well and it's also just a, a result of the experimentation we were doing a lot of different infusions uh just out of you know for fun are, are there any are there any sort of prominent failures that you had that stick out uh no not really nothing was like awful yeah. i mean there's some black pepper infused moonshine upstairs uh that's interesting it's probably would never be particularly popular mm-hmm. because it's so strange um but i would not i wouldn't call it a failure yeah i mean there's some things that are just sort of not that interesting like strawberry and you know things that you know might have been good but uh just the way that flavors interact isn't mm. isn't as interesting as 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 the chocolate the chocolate's really bold and the moonshine is really bold and they 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 don't com- i mean maybe they do compete with each other in a in a way that's productive as mm-hmm. opposed to uh as not and you know the idea of flavoring spirits is one way to tame them i mean all of spirits history has been how do you take something that comes out of the still that's really yeah. volatile and and deal with it and barrel aging is one way uh adding flavors in the case of uh you know like a lot of fortified wines or or uh, you know, sherry, things like that, where, where you take a spirit and you uh, kind of, or liqueurs, flavoring it after the fact. So this is almost um, like a way in for people, potentially? Well, I do think it is, yeah. yeah. And and for us, that's good, because not everybody wants to drink. In fact, I would say only about 
one out of 20 people wants to drink a straight whiskey. Yeah. Neat on the, without, you know, yeah. anything added. So, um, in a way it's sort of scooting them forward, um, in, in terms of their sort of taking a risk on it. Um, so, so yeah, if, if we went upstairs to the barrel room, there are barrels up there right now that will be a product at some point. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> really cool stuff. Yeah. But, but I mean, you know, this, and if you want to, you know, it's not, none of it's secret. You can just walk up there and yeah. take a tour and look at what's written on the barrel head and you'll see some of the I stuff. Mean, is there anything that, that you're, you're particularly excited about? Uh, I mean, just today we've been working on a wheat oh, wow. okay. uh, whiskey. That, yeah. That's very exciting. Didn't make a whole lot of it. Um, we have an oat whiskey that we made about 10 barrels of. Hmm. We have sort of a single malt scotch type whiskey. We can't really call it scotch. Yeah. Um, but that sort of peated single malt style whiskey. Um, so we have other things that are coming. I mean, I, I really think bourbon is ultimately going to be our sort of main sure. main thrust just because that's what <laughs> maybe I like, but you know. I mean, I mean, God help you if chocolate sure. whiskey becomes your main. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, certainly we could, based on the response to the chocolate whiskey, we could just abandon all plans really? and just that make good. chocolate whiskey for the rest of our lives. But, not, you know, nobody, we don't yeah. really want to do that. Yeah. So uh, we've always sort of limited the, you know, the amount that we're making just to be able to cover some of our costs in the in the short term. Mm. Um, but it's, it's, it's never more than 20% of... Uh, of what we produce even in, in even produce now when let's twenty percent of what we're bottling hmm. uh even though we're producing a lot more than we're actually bottling you guys are in terms of raw spirit you're continuing to grow though looking around you've got these these mm-hmm. are not active these these stills yet uh not today they were we were running oh, okay. them on uh well we weren't running whiskey on them we were running steam through them and and just kind of starting to test them yeah and and get them going. Um, so there's a couple little things that we have to fittings that we need to get to be able to move the liquid from place to place and, uh, looking at our, how to get rid of that much more waste that we're dealing with, uh, is one thing that we have to look at. So there's, there's some pieces of the puzzle yet to solve in terms of those new stills, but, uh, certainly much closer now that the boiler's working. I mean, you, you can go, you know, you can go online and you can buy a, a personal still, but how do you, how does one acquire one of these? <laughs> Uh, well, it's getting I mean, harder they're, they're and harder, about, actually. They're about, what, like 12, 13 yeah, feet tall? About, uh, yeah, I think 12 feet tall. And um, these particular stills were made in Scotland by a company called Forsyth that does most of the single malt distilleries, mm-hmm. uh, which is why they have such a traditional sort of scotch still yeah. shape to them. Um, but now there's so many craft distilleries opening up that a lot of the companies that produce stills have a waiting list. Uh, and so I think the wait time on Forsyth is now 18 months at Vendome. I think it's a year. Um, so that's the time you put your down payment to the time that you can actually anticipate your equipment arriving. Uh, and so if you imagine putting a down payment, waiting a year, getting your equipment, plugging it in, making some whiskey, yeah. and then waiting for that whiskey to age, now the barrier to entry for a craft distillery is a three-year huh. endeavor. And, uh, you know, I think... <laughs> That ought to be. Uh, that's pretty daunting to me. I mean, it's very. It was. It, we did it in a way that sort of subverted all that, especially by running all this sort of hobby equipment. We were able to make a lot of whiskey 
while we waited for the real stills to come. How do you how do you guarantee though when you when you're really changing up the process when you're changing up the equipment that it tastes the way it's tasted or that it tastes similar to what you've been producing? Uh, or is I mean, or how important is consistency or is taste just the key? Uh, no. Well, I would say ultimately the fact that these are pot stills is the most important piece of that the and, process and, is the and same it's the process is the scale. same the scale is a little bit bigger yeah. um you know when i talk about commercial whiskey and criticize <laughs> commercial whiskey for its yeah. scale that's really not saying their problem is that they run big stills it's that they run you know column stills that are that are really designed to make whiskey in a very different way mm. than pot stills and and by virtue of that scale there's things that are lost uh, that have nothing to do with just procedural things. It's it's more about uh, you know it's 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 really a totally different system, and the process bears very little resemblance at, a, at this scale, even the craft large craft distillery scale, um, to to the smallest of commercial distilleries. Um, you, you know, you mentioned that there's been kind of explosion in craft distilleries, and and as you guys pr- proudly state on um, all of your posters and everything, you're the the oldest. The yeah. the oldest whiskey distillery or the oldest distillery in in New York City, which is yeah. after four years, <laughs> right? Well, now I mean, part of that was was being aware that there were going to be a lot of distilleries yeah. coming down the way, and we wanted to be able to sort of distinguish ourselves from what was ultimately going to be a lot of competition. I mean, that's that's uh, true in the sense that there are a lot of other players in New York. It hasn't really affected us in the sense that we don't, you know, we don't have any trouble selling our whiskey, mm-hmm. and and I think. That's probably true of all the other players too. I don't. I don't know anybody who's. Nobody's gone out of business. Yeah. Uh, even now, four years into this whole deal, and and many of the other distilleries now have been around for for two or three years. Um, everybody seems to be doing really well, which just is a testament to the market and and people's openness to to craft spirits. Which is why, um, you know, I don't get too wrapped up by by people who. Uh, you know, there is sort of a community of people who say that craft whiskey is not, you know, has, is not valid or has no place at the table because hmm. it's not aged very long or yeah. it's, it's uh, you know, these these guys don't know what they're doing. These are novices. How can you compete with Jim Beam who's been doing it for, you know, the family's been doing it for 200 years? Uh, you know, I think basically the public is is offering a, re- a refutation in the way that they spend their money. So what happened in the last four or five years that there's been this explosion? What 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 what's led to that? Has it been regulation? Well, I mean that's a big, complicated question. Yeah. Uh, regulation is part of it. Um, although, um, really, in New York State, you were always able to open a distillery. Um, it was just if you wanted to make whiskey, it was particularly difficult because the brandy license had a lower a much lower cost mm. than than the broader distillery license um which would inevitably have included whiskey so when somebody came along and wanted to start a whiskey distillery uh ultimately had to lobby albany to get the the fees reduced and bring them more in line with what was uh, with a brandy distillery um so that's one piece of it but it's H- also how big of a drop are we talking about well that was thirteen thousand dollars to now 128 dollars that's for, insane uh, yeah for, yeah right that took that took about 10 years to yeah well, not quite seven years to go down, um, but uh, uh, in terms of uh, wait, what was my train of thought? Oh, uh, <laughs> you know what? What's led to oh, where right, we are right. now? Yeah. Yeah. No. What, the other thing that I was going to say is that I think um, people's 
sort of uh, the way that they consume food and beverage has changed and mm. and people are much more interested in their farmer and who produces what they consume and a lot less interested in processed stuff and uh you know so i think uh people's interest in local food and, and organic food uh is also sort of a piece of the story and skepticism of large corporations i think um in the in there was a time when people felt like if it was the, the larger the company that made it the safer yeah. it was yeah and now i think people feel the inverse which neither one i think is really even correct but you know i, I think it's just a sort of a cultural shift is that part of why you're inviting people in on what you know to well for sh- yeah transparency I mean, that is definitely a part of it we want people to see once you see this place you immediately understand what i could you know tell you if i were in a bar uh you know trying to sell you on the whiskey it's a it's a much harder sell than if you're here and you actually see it and see how uh just how it's physically different in terms of its process there you go that was uh, colin from the king's county distillery um wanted to actually super special extra thanks colin for doing the podcast because the podcast um you may have heard us allude to this at the top of the show uh, but this was actually the second one that we recorded so i'm doing this on my task cam um i brought it home plugged the sd card in zero bytes totally heartbreaking that first one is gone uh i thought the first one was good thought the second one was better so sometimes these things uh work out for the best and that meant that i actually got to go to the king's county distillery two weeks in a row so i don't know you know all said not uh, not too shabby. Um, if you're in the New York City area, you can pick it up at all sorts of uh, different liquor stores and, and bars. Um, uh, Norman's Kill, for example, in, in, in Brooklyn is, is one of our favorites. You can drink it there. Uh, there's a great little liquor store on St. Mark Street. You can pick up uh, you can pick up bourbon. Uh, you can pick up the, the moonshine or, or white whiskey, which, by the way, um, I'm not just saying this because the guy did my show not once but twice, but hands down the best moonshine I've, I've, I've ever had um, which you know I know I know moonshine gets kind of a bad rap um, there's a few companies out there really kind of selling it right now but man it was was smooth that's just it's unaged it's it's unaged whiskey so you um, you know you leave it in the barrel for a little while and it gets that, that nice brown color um, also the bourbon is very good as well I like the chocolate too I'm not a huge fan of flavored whiskeys but um, again you know maybe a maybe a nice stepping stone for you if you are kind of interested in this um, emerging area of uh, a localized kind of artisanal uh, uh, whiskey that might be a might be a good place to start. Um, you can also, if you're outside the New York City area, um, you can go to go to the site and they'll let you know how to handle that stuff too. Even and even if you're not a drinker, highly recommend the uh, the book. Um, just came out at the end of last year. Got it as a, uh, a Hanukkah present. It's the Guide to Urban Moonshining: How to Make and Drink Whiskey, uh, co-written with uh, Colin and uh, his, his uh, King County co-founder, David. Um, really super fascinating history of, uh, of just whiskey in general. And then, you know, at the end of the book, it does, in fact, tell you how to, how, how to, how to become a bootlegger at home. Um, I, I'm, I'm kind of still thinking about it, but um, I don't know. It's, it seems like there's, there's too many things standing in the way, and there's a lot of really great new exciting whiskeys out there to, to be tried such as such as king's county um so again thank you so much to to colin for taking the time to do that oh also if you are in the new york city area um highly recommend heading down to the uh, brooklyn navy yard which is where they're located and just getting a tour of the place because they'll give you 
you um they'll basically show you how they make whiskey and then you get like a really kind of cool history about uh about whiskey in the united states um thanks uh thanks as always to brian for editing this thing together Thanks to Mark and everybody else at Boing Boing for hosting the podcast. Lots of really awesome shows over there uh, worth checking out. Just go to boingboing.net or you can check everything else out over on iTunes. And while you're at iTunes, why not rate the podcast? We need your we need your vote of confidence. You know, we're losing, losing... I mean, I know we have a five-star rating right now, but I'm wondering why more people aren't going out and, and rating us. Um, if you liked what you heard, you can send us some feedback. We got a Gmail address. Those are difficult to come by these days it's riylcast uh, at gmail.com follow us on tumblr you um if you follow us on tumblr you get the show first before it's up on on boing boing you get a couple day lead over there and get you know, a little more a little more context i like to offer up a little more uh uh information on on the interview that you're going to hear so that's riylcast.tumblr.com uh i think that's about all the information i got so uh, i'm going to leave you guys uh thanks to hover and audible again for sponsoring the show um and we will be back uh, in another week with another episode of riyl